Hello, Renoites listeners, and welcome to this week's episode of Renoites. It's the podcast where I talk to a bunch of people from Reno who are doing cool and interesting things. My name is Connor McQuibby. I'm your host, as always. Thank you for joining me. This week on the podcast, I am very excited to welcome John Trent. John Trent is part of the Silver State Striders, a running and walking club here in Reno, and an ultra-marathoner, a long-distance runner. John has run 1,700-mile ultra-marathons. That's a lot of miles. And tons of other races in addition. A lifelong runner. We had a great conversation about the sport of running, the community aspects of it, the health benefits, the challenge of pushing ourselves to do difficult things physically and mentally. It was a really great conversation. I have always known people who are extreme runners or serious athletes and been very impressed by them. And it was great to have this conversation about the sport of running, what it means to the people who do it, the community aspect here in Reno. Really great conversation. And I'm grateful that John came on the show. This episode is brought to you by DJ Trivia Nevada. As you know, I host trivia at several local venues for DJ Trivia. It's a very fun job. I enjoy it very much. And I would love to see some of my listeners at my trivia games. Come out and play. I host several nights a week. There are almost 20 games a week in various venues around town. So there's probably one in your neighborhood. Check out DJTriviaNevada.com for all of the locations. And also on Facebook and Instagram where they post a clue of the day to get you some bonus points, some hints to the questions that are at each game. Check it out. DJ Trivia Nevada on Facebook, Instagram, or DJTriviaNevada.com. This episode is also brought to you by This Is Reno. This Is Reno is my favorite local news source. They are covering everything that's going on in town, all of the important things that you need to know in a way that is well-researched, that's local, that's interesting. Some of the stuff that you're not going to hear on the TV news or in the local newspaper. Really great work and keeping Reno informed about the important issues that we are facing. That's thisisreno.com. And you can also find them on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and I recommend subscribing to their newsletter. I get the headlines in my email every day. So that's thisisreno.com, my favorite local news source. Highly recommend that if you want to know what's going on in town, you're following This Is Reno. As always, if you have any guest suggestions, ideas for topics for the show, I want to make sure that I am creating episodes that my listeners want to hear. So shoot me an email. My address is Connor, C-O-N-O-R at renoites.com. And now this week's guest, John Trent. John Trent, welcome to Renoites. Thank you so much for coming on the show to talk to me about running today. Hey, Connor, thanks for having me. I, I appreciate the opportunity to to talk to you and hopefully not bore you too much with running stories. <laughs> oh, no, I don't think I'll be bored at all. There's a lot I want to know about running and why you do it and how you do it, because you do ultra, I think ultra marathon, or if I don't know, ultra is just like the shorter version of ultra marathon, which is these super, super, super long distance races, like not just a marathon, but just a bunch of marathons in a row, basically. So I think a good way to start for people who are not familiar with ultras or long distance running and these kind of extreme running events. Can you just talk a little bit about the type of runs that you have done or that you do or that Silver State Striders, that you're the organization that you're with, what is an ultra marathon? What are these kind of races like? Can you kind of describe how long they take, what an ultra looks and feels like? You bet. Yeah, it's, um, you know, technically an ultra is anything beyond the marathon, standard marathon distance of 26.2 miles. So once you take one step beyond the standard marathon distance, you are an ultra marathoner. So 
What's interesting and what's really always uh, hooked me about the sport is there are so many different types of ultras out there. So you have timed events where, you know, just last weekend in Las Vegas, they had the jackpot ultras, which was on a really flat course, a loop course where the runners ran, you know, a mile or two, and they just, you know, kept running in circles, not a lot of elevation gain. And you have that at one end of the spectrum versus these mountain hundreds where you can go a hundred miles where, you know, the elevation change can be quite abrupt and the terrain can be quite disruptive. You might um, end up with maybe 18, 19, 20,000 feet of climbing over the course of the 100 miles that you run. So the spectrum is from that far end to the to the other, and then everything in between, 50Ks, 50 milers. The shorter races can be easier or harder, depending on what you're after. The terrain can be as challenging as you want to try to seek. And the Silver State Striders, the group that I'm a, a part of, what we try to do is encourage everybody. That's what I love about ultras more than anything else is it's all shapes and sizes. There's no way that you can define this is the way the best runner is going to look or this is the way they're going to run with the perfect, you know, you see in the Olympics and the 10,000 meters, those perfect strides. <laughs> A lot of the strides aren't perfect in the sport that we have. So it, it's accessible to everybody. You can start out and you can walk. That's the other thing that, that's so great about ultras is, you know, you're out there for such a long time. In fact, it behooves one to walk several times throughout. And you have all these other elements to it, fueling, you know, the nutrition that you have to take in throughout the event. So there's these wonderful variables where you can start out where like if you came to one of our runs sometime and you said, I'd like to run a 50K in four months, the first thing out of my mouth to you would be, Yes, you can. We can help you prepare for that. Any person can do them. Any person can finish them. And so there's all these wonderful elements to it, Connor, that really is something really that's special. You know, the, And there's aspects of it we can talk about, about community and other things and a sense of belonging. But at its core, it's about not necessarily being the fastest, but having the ability to endure and just to get the distance done. That's really at the core of why so many people matriculate toward ultramarathons. Mm -hmm. What is the typical duration for an ultra, like, let's say a hundred is hundred mile. A, that's what you do a lot of, right? Is these hundred mile runs. Mm -hmm. yeah. So what's, how long does that take to run a hundred miles? That's like a whole day, right? <laughs> day and night. Is that how it goes? Yeah, no, you're, you're exactly right. You know, depending on the difficulty of the race, usually it's a 30 hour time limit. It can also be a little bit more than that. Sometimes it can be 36 hours. So you're definitely, unless you're super fast. To give you an example, the Western States Endurance Run, of which my story kind of runs through, I've been involved with that race in, either as an athlete or as an organizer and as a journalist covering it for probably three or four decades. The fastest person will finish Western States in 14 hours. The very last person will finish Western States in 29 hours, 59 minutes, and 59 seconds. They call it the second sunrise. A lot of people will be out there for, they start at sunrise and then... They see a second sunrise as they're still out there working their way to the finish line. How did you get into the long distance running? Have you always been a runner? Is that something that you, how did you discover this, the ultras and the long distance running? And what's your story been as far as getting involved in them and making them such a big part of your life? I started running in 1976. I was, this is really going to date me and I'm going to feel super old. So I was, 
13 years old in the summer of 1976. And that's when I started running. I was heading into my eighth grade year. And I was really lucky at that point. I went to Swope Middle School here in Reno. We had a wonderful cross-country coach and a PE coach by the name of Lyle Freeman. Lyle's still around. He's still a really good friend of mine. He was my coach at Swope. And then when I ran at Reno High School, Lyle also coached the distance runners there. I was really lucky to find a sport that I felt spoke to me. Whatever kind of endeavor we have, I think in life, Connor, it's important that it speaks to you in some way. Mm -hmm. And running always did. I enjoyed the ability to go out and challenge myself. I can still remember the Journal Jog, which used to be a big race here in Reno, sponsored by the Reno Gazette Journal, oldest foot race in Northern Nevada. I ran it that fall. And I, that was the first five mile race that I'd ever run without stopping to walk. And I remember I'd felt like I'd conquered Mount Everest. It was just a, <laughs> to be a teenage kid and to be able to run five continuous miles without having to walk a little bit was a huge deal. So I ran road races and developed as a runner. But then I was able to, as a sports writer at the Reno Gazette Journal, I had kind of a running column, you know, and I'd write about weekly in the Gazette Journal about running. So I would profile all these different kinds of runners. And I started to learn about these ultra marathons, you know, and I went out and I covered Western states as a young journalist in 1987 for the first time and was really hooked by that. You know, just just in terms of I was like, this is crazy. Never want to do anything like this, but it's amazing what these people can do. And a few years later, I actually, as part of a assignment for the Gazette Journal, 1995, Western States, I'll never forget it. I was able to run the last 38 miles as a pacer with a guy named Joe Brandenburg from Reno. Joe is still around. He's in his uh, mid-70s now. And at the time, Joe was um, in his early 50s. He was battling for a top 10 finish that day. And Western States is kind of like the World Series of ultras. And to have a 51-year-old man from Reno battling for the top 10. And that was the year too, the Tara Humara runners. You know, there was a book a writer named Chris McDougall wrote called Born to Run. About 12 or 13 years ago, Chris wrote about the Tara Humara. And the Tara Humara were at Western States that year. And Joe was kind of dueling back and forth with these really beautiful runners from Mexico. And I was there as his pacer and I wrote a story about it. Joe ended up finishing in the top 10. He dropped me the last mile. I was exhausted. I'd never, you know, I'd run 38, 37 miles. I just couldn't go anymore. He dropped me and finished fast and, and finished in the top 10. I wrote a story about it. And then that that's what led me into like, hey, I would like to try Western States myself. So two years later, I ran my first 100 miler at Western States in 1997 and haven't really looked back since. You know, I still run the occasional road race, but really it's been all about ultras from the mid 1990s on with me. Oh, gotcha. How many hundred milers have you done? Do you know? Do you keep track? <laughs> 17. 17. Whoa. Yeah. That's a lot of miles. So what is the Silver State Striders? So that's the organization that you're a part of. Can you talk a little bit about what Silver State Striders is and the kind of function they perform in the running world in Reno? I get a little overdramatic about this, but it's a community asset. I mean, I really feel like it's, it's a treasure that's been a part of this community for a really long time. And being involved with it, I I think it's, there's a lot of responsibility to be involved with this group. So basically, the Silver Straight Striders were essentially the first real running club that Reno ever had. I mean, there, there was the Reno Track Club also for young athletes who were competing in track and field Junior Olympic events in the 70s. And the Striders came along because there was a, a running boom in the mid to late 1970s. A lot of people were out jogging for the first time. There were housewives and husbands and all, the, all these folks out there running. And the Striders were a group of people here in Reno that 
just felt like, you know, there needed to be something more to encourage these people that were out there maybe running for the first time. So that was the birth of it. And then over the years, there was a ultra marathon component that was kind of added to the Striders. There were a couple of people who were really instrumental to that. Roland Martin, in particular, was a mentor of mine. Roland was an attorney here in town for many years. He was the co-founder of the Silver State Endurance Runs, which we still have, the 37th annual coming up here in May, 50-mile, 50K races that are all over Peavine Mountain and show off our beautiful trails. Roland was one of the driving forces for the ultra aspect of the Striders. And so Roland kind of got this training group together for the Striders and you'd go out every Tuesday, Thursday night and run workouts. And then Saturdays, you'd go for your long runs as you were preparing for races. Because Roland was one of the very first people from our area who ran Western States back in the late 1980s. And so he was kind of carrying along this tradition of people from Reno that would be preparing for Western States and they'd be doing these races. From Roland, there have been a few of us that have kind of taken the mantle and kept the club going. I'd like to refer to us as sort of like the, you know, um, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. <laughs> There's an island of misfit toys. I feel like with the Striders, we're kind of like the island of misfit toys. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what kind of running ability you have. We're going to welcome you. We're going to encourage you. And we're going to, without any judgments, we're going to try to help you accomplish whatever it is you wish to do, whether it's a 15-mile race or a 50K or 50-miler. So the Striders have been around for a long time. And then of more recent vintage, we've been about these group runs and just encouraging one another to become kind of this community of encouragement for folks as they may be getting into ultras for the first time, or they might be training for their 10th 100-miler. We find a way to incorporate all ability levels, all perspectives, and try to be very positive about it. Yeah, the community aspect is something that's really interesting to me because I think of running, especially if we're talking about ultras and these long races, as a pretty solitary activity. You are spending hours and hours and hours largely alone. I mean, you might be running with someone or with a group some of the time, but I imagine that a lot of the training and a lot of the time spent running is solitary time. And then there's this community aspect of support and that it's not a team sport. You know, it is competitive when you're talking about these races, but a lot of it is just about challenging ourselves. Do you think that makes running a particularly interesting or rewarding sport to have both of those elements? I think you hit the nail right on the head. You're exactly right. I think I think most runners, um, not all of us, but the vast majority are by nature. We're not necessarily introverts, but I think that's how we got into the sport was to kind of get away from things a little bit, right? You know, and so that kind of becomes the meditation, the therapy that you do for an hour or whatever it might be each day. That's your time alone. What I think inevitably happens to a lot of people is, you know, you have that personal time and it's good, but once you're around other people, you realize like this can become so much larger than yourself. You not only share your experiences with others, but others' experiences become part of who you are too. And that, and it's, it's sort of like this subliminal thing that you don't even pick up on on first. You might be kind of a lone wolf and you're out there doing your run and then you go out on a group run and you meet these people. And runners can be chatty and they tell you their life stories or they tell you aspects about who they are. And you're like, huh, these are interesting people. And then pretty soon don't realize that, you know, they go off to uh, ultra and there's a team aspect to this in some respects where you have what are called pacers and crew. You know, the, the races are so long 
that oftentimes you need somebody to pace you to run with you over the last, say, 30 miles of a 100 miler or the last 20 miles of a 50 miler. And then you have crew, people, usually family members, but friends too, who are there to drive to aid stations to give you the food that you need and, and the support that you want to hear. And you find yourself kind of against, you know, the, the way you think you are as a person where you're kind of a lone wolf. You find yourself, people are asking you like, hey, you know, Connor, I'm going to be running this 50 miler next week. And I know we don't know each other very well, but it'd be a nice workout for you. You want to jump in and run the last 20 miles with me? And you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then you find out their race becomes your race. I mean, you know, you're like so invested. You want to see them finish and you want to help them any way you can. Mm -hmm. That whole aspect of it just kind of envelops you without you realizing. And then suddenly you're right in the middle of it. I would say that, and this is something as I've grown older, my most enriching moments as an ultra runner have been pacing and crewing people as opposed to my own races. Um, and that wasn't that, it wasn't that way 20 years ago, but it is now. I thoroughly enjoy being there and, and watching somebody else accomplish something really, really cool. So yeah, there's both aspects to that. And it's an interesting dichotomy that I think against our best wishes, we become a lot more social beings because of the sport. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I have not done any long races myself, but both my brother and sister have done the Reno Tahoe Odyssey, which is not an ultra, but it is this one long distance relay race that has a huge community aspect because you're on a team. The relay element forces you to work with other people and cooperate and kind of have a team mentality around a sport that is traditionally thought of as more independent so I've seen that myself, where they've had these teams that they're on and that hold each other accountable and, you know, succeed or fail together kind of thing. Yeah. You know, I, I have to I have to share people who know me. I, I have to bring this up just because this is one of my little ticks. I love the Reno Tahoe Odyssey. Eric LaRude, the founder of that event, Eric's a really good friend of mine. He's a former classmate of mine at Reno High School. We used to work a summer job together while we were in college. Love Eric. And I think that's a wonderful event. But I, they, sometimes people get so gung-ho in that event and they push themselves so hard and people don't ever realize this doesn't matter unless, you're, unless you are Western state-centric, which I am. Usually Reno Tahoe Odyssey comes only a couple of weeks before Western States. And I've had several of my friends who are preparing for Western States. They run Reno Tahoe Odyssey. They push themselves a little too far and get injured mm. out of the Reno Tahoe Odyssey. And they can't or either not at 100% for Western States. So, you know, I, I love Reno Tahoe Odyssey. But I always tell my friends, if you're running Western States, do not run the Reno Tahoe Odyssey. Right. Pick one, right? <laughs> so... One of the things that I appreciate about running, too, is it seems to have really low barrier to entry for a lot of sports. There's gear and there's training, there's equipment, there's facilities. But running is, you know, we've got legs and we've got feet so we can run. It seems like a relatively easy sport to get into. Is that something that you think is a risk for some people of overextending themselves? Do people jump into it without the right training or understanding of how they should be doing it? Or do you think it's a good thing that people can basically, you know, throw on whatever sneakers they got and, and go hit the road? Can you just talk a little bit about, like the amateur element of getting into running and what people should know before they try to go run 100 miles? Yeah, it's, I think it's, it, it depends on 
how deep you want to go into, you know, the science of like shoe construction, for example. There's a shoe out there right now that's about $375 actually, that's a trail shoe. So you can really get carried away with that if you're not careful. And and it's good to have that knowledge, but I'm more of a fundamentalist and a kind of a basic sort of approach to running where as long as a shoe feels sound to you, it may not be the sexiest and have the most bells and whistles to it, but if it works for you and you, you're not getting injured with it, stick with something like that. You can immerse yourself in all these different kinds of training programs. There's a number of different training programs. There's coaches out there. There's all this information out there right now because ultra running is kind of at an inflection point right now where participation is as high as it's ever been. And it's younger people, Connor. It's like people in their 20s and 30s that are coming to the sport and getting involved with it. And, you know, I think it bears mentioning that traditionally, it's been a very white, middle-class kind of endeavor. And over the past two years in particular, there are certain brands like Hoka, for example, the, the shoe company, they are doing all they can to bring more members of, from diverse and underrepresented groups into the sport. Because you know, for what might not necessarily be an expensive shoe for you or I could be extremely expensive if you come from a certain socioeconomic background. So that's one of the things that ultra running is trying to balance right now. It has always been, I believe, an accessible sport, but you have to keep the prices down. You have to keep entry fees down. You have to keep those things in mind. You know, that's one of the things we've always tried to do with Silver State, for example, our event that's coming up in May, the 37th annual, it's one of the least expensive 50 milers you're going to find out there, one of the least expensive 50Ks, because I feel like it's important that price should not preclude somebody's participation. So there's a lot of different aspects to it. Just in general for folks, that's one of the beauties of the sport is you can get into it at whatever level you know you, you want to immerse yourself in. If you want to get carried away with it, you can. And if you don't, you don't necessarily have to do that. Again, I go back to Roland Martin as a good example, who was one of my mentors. He was a very basic sort of runner. I mean, he wouldn't even literally, he would oftentimes not even wear a shirt, <laughs> just a pair of tight, short shorts and um, some running shoes and that, and a hand bottle, you know, water bottle that was taped together with masking tape. That's, I always hearken back to that. If it was good enough for Roland, it'd probably be good enough for me too. So I try not to overthink it and try to keep things pretty basic if at all possible. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned the Chris McDougall book, Born to Run, which talks about these, you know, indigenous people who they were persistence hunters. I think the idea is that we are adapted to run for miles and miles and miles, like a human being can outrun over time an antelope or whatever. It is very natural for us to be able to go out and run. Like our bodies are pretty well adapted to it. For a while, there was a trend of like, you know, very minimal footwear and those kind of things. Do you think that there's a balance to be found between hyper minimal versus modern advancements and these things and around like nutrition and stuff too? We have these kind of supplements and things that are make it much easier to get the nutrition you need while you're running. How attached are you to the raw, natural running versus kind of the modern world of running? Well, I got to, you know, I got to say, you know, Chris McDougall's an awesome writer and being somebody that 
you know, I consider myself a professional writer as well. That's a really compelling story that he told. With that said, people might have gone a little overboard in terms of the barefoot running right after that. I think it depends on on the person. I could distinctly remember running the 2013 Leadville 100 miler in Colorado, which Chris wrote about in that book. And that was the year really after when that book had, had finally hit the mainstream and the New York Times wrote about that book. And that race was like, oversubscribed. They had way too many people in it because of that book. And then on top of it, I'll always remember there was a guy, a barefoot guy who ran by me in the last three miles. And, you know, I, I was wearing shoes and he was barefoot and he was moving a lot better than I was. So even though, you know, I've never really thought of, I would ever try something like that. I thought, you know, that young man running barefoot for him, it worked, you know? So if it works for you, then, then there's probably nothing wrong with that. It seems like since then, there's been a correction from what Chris was talking about, which I, I think at its, at its core was more about probably more than the barefoot running. It was just this idea of, as you mentioned, we are active people and we need to be active. We need to keep moving, whether it's running or walking or cycling, whatever it might be. And when you lose that, you kind of lost something fundamental to, to being a human being, you know? And so I think that was the larger lesson that I've always taken away from that book is like, you know, I think it behooves us to keep moving, whether it's running, walking or whatever. And then the distance, you know, it will take care of itself. It was funny because just this morning I was reading a piece. There was a guy talking about how he had been a barefoot runner for a time. He's no longer a barefoot runner now. And he was like saying, thank God I, I was never fast enough for anybody took video of me running barefoot because I'd be, I'm not proud of that right now. <laughs> so um, there's, there's been a bit of a shift because now it's like, you know, these shoes are just, you know, they're ultra cushion now, you know, I run in a pair of Hoka's, which is kind of ultra cushioning, but that works for me. I mean, I, I have my share of knee problems and muscular skeletal stuff that I have to deal with. So cushioning works for me, but you know, for you, if you were to go out and maybe you decided to go jogging around on the track and barefoot, it, it might work for you. You know, when Joe Brandenburg was racing those Tara Humara um, runners from 1995, I'll always remember how thin their shoes were. I mean, they were, they were cut basically from rubber and they were paper thin, but they were shoes nonetheless. The Tara Humara themselves weren't barefoot runners. They were, they were running in these really ultra light shoes that they wore on their feet. And I'll always, till the day I die, I can hear just how beautiful it sounded because they were so light on their feet. And I think that's the other lesson is if you can, you know, whether you're running in sandals or shoes, try to be light on your feet because those gentlemen certainly were. And it was a beautiful thing to watch. One of the things on the Silver Street Striders website says, a club for runners, walkers, and everything in between. That's the first thing that I saw when I opened up the page. And I appreciate that because I am not a runner, but I am certainly a walker. Not as much lately in the last few months, but over the last few years, I've kind of picked up a habit of doing long walks. Sometimes I will do like five to six miles is kind of my standard walk. And there's been periods where I'll do that several times a week from my house down along Idlewild. I do not run. I do not jog. I do not break a sweat. I do not... Uh, pant at any point, And I like that about it. I think that I really enjoy walking. Do you find a lot of people don't get into running because of the suffering aspect? Because running kind of sucks sometimes. I have a couple more questions about running sucking. But that is the thing that stops me from running is it sucks. It's hot. It's sweaty. It's kind of painful. And walking doesn't suck to me. That's just kind of relaxing and nice. So do you think that's part of the burden for people to get into real running is just 
the pain, the suffering. And how do you get past that? Or how do you recommend people get past that? Or do you recommend people get past that? What's Talk a little bit about the suffering and the pain of being a runner, especially on these long runs. Yeah, there's no sugarcoating it. I'm, I'm not going to tell you like, oh yeah, these these wonderful endorphins are always firing off and you don't feel a thing. It's just, it's just beautiful the whole time. I mean, you're exactly right. You reach a point where it gets really, really painful. When we were exchanging some messages earlier, you referenced David Goggins and the idea of embracing the suck and how a warrior like David Goggins, how he approaches it. Yeah, you you do have to acknowledge that. You're going to reach a point, whether it's because you've gone too fast or you've gone too far, you haven't eaten enough, you haven't drank enough, or you're just, <laughs> you're just done, you know, you don't want to go on, where you're going to have to ask yourself some serious questions. And and sometimes the answers aren't good, but I think that's, again, I think that's one of the, at least to me, that's one of the allures of running is, you know, you, you go deep, you have to dig deep, you know, you find out something about yourself. I mean, it's usually not a life and death sort of discussion that you're having, although it can feel that way from time to time. But usually the answer is going to be an affirmative that, yeah, I don't want to, but I'm going to keep moving. Um, without getting too philosophical about it, I've always found in my life when I've had other parts of my life where I've been challenged, I feel like I can draw upon some of these experiences that I've had out on the trail um, where, you, you know, you, you did find a way to keep moving. And sometimes you don't. And that's part of it, too, is I never once think of if somebody doesn't finish as a failure. I n- I'll never talk to somebody about that being a failure. I'll talk about well, what did you learn? You know, what did you come away from? You know, because uh, I've had my, I haven't finished every race that I've ever run. I've dropped out of my share. And actually, I feel like those times where I did drop out, you know, to give you an example, I ran the Wasatch 100 miler in the Wasatch Mountains outside of Salt Lake City a few years ago. And I got to the point um, where I was leaning really, really abruptly to my left side, um, where I, I was falling down on the trail. I was leaning so much to one side and it's a super technical, super rocky race. And it got to the point where I just had to pull the plug because I just was getting tired of taking four or five, six steps and then falling over. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I feel like I learned so much from that race about how people treated me, how even though I was in a really dark place, I feel like I was I was nice to people. I was positive to people, people that were helping me. I was appreciative of that. It, it taught me in real life when people reach out to you and try to help you to be appreciative to, to folks. So there's these wonderful lessons that you learn even in the midst of just, oh my God, I cannot go on. You know, this is, this is a lot worse than I thought it was going to be. And why in the hell did I sign up for this in the first place? And, you know, just real briefly, over the years, I've incorporated more and more walking into my running where I'll go out and I'll walk for two hours and not run a single step. I've always been active and I've run and I've gone out on hikes, but now that it's become intentional that I do that, I see so many things that I wouldn't have seen otherwise. If I'm out running and everything, you can slow down, you can stop, you know, you can look around. Mm -hmm. And I, I highly recommend, and I tell the people that I train with, it's not just all running, go out and walk for a couple of hours. That'll do you just as much good as running. So my hat's off to you for, for being able to do that. Cause I think there's a lot of good that can, that can come from that. I mean, I have the same sort of clarity and the same sort of, that was my time and it was time well spent. You know, I had an injury a few years ago and I couldn't run at all. So I, I walked 
all my workouts. It was a preparation for a hundred miler called the Pony Express hundred miler in Utah. Because <laughs> I knew I'd have to walk pretty much the whole hundred miles. So I did like a 40 mile walk. I did a couple of 30 mile <laughs> walks mm-hmm. and I was able to complete a hundred miler with only running maybe a few miles. I walked the vast, vast majority of a hundred miles and it wasn't that bad. I really enjoyed it. So my hat's off to people who like to walk as well. Yeah. And I think a lot comes out of it too. So this podcast started basically shortly after I took a extended break from social media and technology kind of stuff. I basically got rid of all the stuff on my phone that was a distraction or that kind of thing. And I had all this extra time in my day. And that's when I started doing a lot of these daily five or six mile walks. And on that time where I'm walking for a couple hours with no distraction and time to actually think, that's where I sort of started to solidify the ideas about what I wanted to do with this project and how it would work. And that inspiration that came out of having that time to myself really kind of led to other things that I wanted to do, which was really rewarding. You mentioned a little bit earlier about these ultras having a big moment right now. A lot of people are interested in them. And you talked about earlier, there was this kind of big movement. People started jogging like 70s and 80s. Why do you think that is that running kind of comes in and out of fashion? And where do you think it is now? What do you think plays into that big trend of running being popular or less popular? And where do you see that going? Why do you think people are drawn to it in kind of these big waves? That's a really good question, you know, because I've studied this a lot over the years because I was part of what was probably considered the first running boom of the 70s. And then there was another one in the 80s. And then Oprah ran a marathon and that created a third running boom. And then the mass, mass participation events like the New York City, even though they were always big, suddenly that became a big ticket item, became creating the fourth um, running boom for people where they would train exclusively to to finish a Boston, a, a New York City, a Chicago marathon, London, Berlin, you know, these types of races. And yeah, it's interesting how it has fluctuated because each one of those running booms, participation would spike and it would stay up there for a while and then it would kind of decrease. And then there's the lifers like me that are there all along and and you're looking around and you're saying, where are all these other folks that, you know, a few years ago were out, you know, a couple of things happen, I think with that Connor, one is like, some people are just in it for the big ticket and, you know, and that's fine. I mean, that's the way life is. You, you work toward whatever big ticket it is and you achieve it. And then they move on to something else. But, and then I think also what happens is the sport itself kind of changes a little bit. So people will decide, you know, pretty quickly, is this my tribe or is this not my tribe? And maybe I ought to try something else. It can be a very time intensive sort of commitment. It doesn't necessarily have to be that way, but I think a lot of people feel it must be that way. So, you know, after a while they get burned out, you know, it's just like, Mm -hmm. you know, I have this running group. It's at 6 a.m. every morning. It's great as we're preparing for this marathon in Sacramento. I just want my life back. (laughs) And so, you know, what's interesting with the growth in ultra running right now and trail running in particular is what people are finding is this is not to say that running before wasn't a lifestyle because it was, but the, the trail running itself is this community where you go out, you run the race, and then you don't just get in your BMW and drive home. There's food, there's lawn chairs, there's people with their kids and with their families, running around, frolicking. You talk about the day with all the people that you share the trail with. You wait. You know, you might be fast. There might be a friend of yours who's going to finish in five hours. You don't get in your car. You wait for them. And then then you visit with them. You get them some food. So there's this whole social aspect 
that's really, really hardwired and always has been in ultra running. And now people are discovering this saying, you know, this is pretty cool. I can go out and be part of this community. Very rarely, if ever, do you hear ultra runners argue about the polarizing issues of our time. (laughs) (laughs) There's a time and place for that, I guess, obviously. But in the ultra space, it's about, tell me about your day. What went right? What went wrong? How do you feel about today? I'm so proud of you. There's just this affirmative aspect to it that in other aspects of life, you may not get. And total strangers, people that you don't even know suddenly become your friends and encourage you. So I think that's what's kind of powering this growth in ultra running right now. It's this community aspect that people are really feeling. Do you think there's something about the Sierra Nevadas and the Reno area that has made it really amenable to these kind of ultras? You talked about the Western states, which is, you said, it's like the one of the biggest, one of the most important. And we are very close to that area. So has that been something that has led to a lot more interest, you think, among Reno runners, having those races close by, having the Odyssey close by? Is kind of the proximity to events a big driver in people's willingness to get involved in running? I think so. Yeah, I I really do. I think Western States is an hour and a half drive away. Auburn, California is where the race finishes. Yeah, you know, those trails are close by the Sierra Nevada, you know, is kind of that bridge. You know, the Western States starts at Palisades, Tahoe, you go up and you look at Lake Tahoe and then you work your way through the Granite Chief Wilderness, which is ostensibly still Lake Tahoe in that area. And then you work your way down into the California gold country. So there's always been that connector between our community and that community. And so I think that is a big driver for folks. They, they understand what Western states means and, and to be able to finish, in my humble opinion, the, the greatest hundred mile race in the world, to be able to finish that is a big deal. They not only feel this connection, if you look at our history, that's the way a lot of the trails in our area were actually sort of rediscovered. You know, they were there, but it was people like Roland Martin who went out, who were, they were on their own training for Western states. And they're, they're like, well, I can't drive over every single weekend to Auburn. I got to train on this side of the Sierra. Where do I go? And so people like Roland would go up Peavine Mountain back 30 years ago, there wasn't this really wonderful, intricate set of mountain bike trails that we have now um, on Peavine. It was a lot um, more rugged. And so people like Roland figured out places to run up there, you know, and you have sort of over by Ballardini Ranch in that area, you know, where you could go up to the, into the Carson Range from there. There was a development of trails based you know, exclusively on the fact that people had to prepare for Western states over here. So there's, there's a lot of stuff to that. Yeah. One experience I've had around running, I was on this big road trip I did a few years ago and there was a triathlon around Lake George in like upper New York area. One of the guys that I talked to who I was working with kind of volunteering did a running streak. And I learned about the idea of running streaks where you run every day without fail for as many days as you possibly can even if it's only a mile, I think he said that he does at least a mile every single day. And his streak was some, it was several years long, like three or four years long, like never miss a day. So can you just talk a little bit about the, not necessarily running streaks in particular, but the commitment aspect to doing something like training for a long-term run? It's not something that you can just hurry. It's a commitment and a long-term process to kind of build up these routines and these habits. I assume that most of the people or everyone who's doing these ultras, they are daily runners or they have a regular routine of running. So can you talk a little bit about kind of the the commitment and the routine that goes into these mm-hmm. training opportunities? 
our Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday runs is kind of like the, the beginning of the commitment. We have our runs that start at the in January and pretty much go through the summer and into the fall. And then they kind of back off a little bit to give people some time away from the running. For a lot of people, that's what keeps them focused is knowing they have to be out there on Tuesday and Thursday and Saturday, Tuesday nights, Thursday nights, and Saturday mornings. So that builds in sort of that kind of psychological muscle memory that you have to have when you decide that you're going to run one of these big races. A lot of times, not often, you don't necessarily have to run every single day. Although, you know, I, I found when I was younger, when I was running every single day, I, I was able to develop a really high level of fitness. As I've gotten older and, you know, I have to deal with injuries and that sort of thing, I've found three or four days a week is probably enough, especially if you're still getting into, you know, the long run of 20 or 30 miles every Saturday. That's usually <laughs> more than enough. The people that can streak, that shows an entirely different level of focus. There's a fellow here in Reno, Kevin Brunson. I know Kevin, he's come out and, you know, he's run our race. He's helped with our race. I, I believe Kevin's run over something like more than 5,000 consecutive days, <laughs> you know, so you can figure out the math. I mean, that's a long time where he's done that. And for people who do something like that, that's an, enti- that's at an entirely different level, just in terms of, I mean, you show up no matter what, you know, there, there'll be, there'll be nights every once in a while, not too often, but you know, it's like cold and icy and snowy out there. You're like, nah, I'm not going to go out there. But Mm -hmm. for people like Kevin, where they're out there every single day, whether it's like, as you were mentioning, the man who it's got to be a mile or whatever, that shows that there's something else going on in addition to preparing. I think we can all know for the next six months, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to prepare for this race and then I'll return to normal life and maybe not train with as much intensity and duration. But for the folks that, you know, it's like years since they've missed a day, that speaks to something that durability, first of all, is just incredible to me because I've had a number of injuries over the years. I, even if I had wanted to streak, I couldn't have. So the fact mm-hmm. that people can do that is just sort of mind boggling to me because it's usually enough to tell somebody, okay, in January, you're going to run this hundred mile race in June, and then you can kind of have your life back a little bit. But for those six months, we have you, you have to focus, you have to do all this stuff be a good family person, but have your family understand they may not see you some weekends when you're out there doing that stuff. And, and that's a key part of it too, is you have to have buy-in from the people around you. If you don't, you're going to run into problems. And that's always been, for me anyway, I've always had great support from my wife and my daughters. They're runners themselves, so they get it. So it's, e- it's an easy conversation. But for some folks, you have to have that long conversation to say, um, you know, I remember there was a, a good friend of mine who ran Western States a few years ago you probably won't mind that, you know, I say his name, his name is Mark Winkleman. He's a fire captain here in Reno. Mark's a tremendous man, really, really strong runner. You know, he has a lot of kids and family's super important to him. He's a good family man. And Mark trained his butt off from January to June. But I remember when he finished, I remember seeing his wife on the track at Western States at Placer High School when Mark had finished and done well. (laughs) I, I distinctly remember the look on his wife's face like, okay, we need him back now. (laughs) We need to give him back to us. And and of course we did. (laughs) Excellent. You mentioned injuries a couple of times, and I always wonder about the effect on the body of these kind of long-term races, especially if you're doing them over and over, if you're doing them over years and years. I don't know that much about sports medicine, about what causes injury and things like that. But I have a general understanding or an idea that running a lot is, quote unquote, hard on your body. 
that you are breaking down some things over the course of the years and all of these miles. So can you talk a little bit about is running safe? Is there just a kind of cost benefit analysis that you do as far as the benefits you get from all of this running versus the risks of injury? Uh, and what's your experience been around injury and kind of the the real physical, not, I don't want to say danger because that makes it sound a little more intense, but just the risks of embracing running as such a fundamental part of your life where you're putting a lot of wear and tear on your body that most normal people definitely don't. Yeah. You know, there's the scientific aspect of this and amateur scientist that I am, but I am a journalist and I've, I've tried to take some deep dives into this from time to time. Most of the research suggests that running regularly <laughs> within reason is not going to adversely affect your body. You know, there used to be, used to be the, the thought that it would ruin your knees, for example, and it really doesn't. And in fact, it really it makes sense. The fact that you're regularly exercising, that you're moving, that you're stretching, strengthening, doing these things actually can strengthen one's knees. But with that said, there are some things you have to be careful of. And that's kind of what I've run into in my running is not necessarily just the body wearing down after 46 years. It's been traumatic events where I have fallen, where I've tripped, where in 2007, I tore a bunch of the articular cartilage in my right knee when I just kind of happened to kick a rock and my knee flexed so much that the cartilage just shattered. <laughs> it was just this event that happened where I kicked a rock the wrong way and I had to have a major knee surgery. And it came back really, really well after the microfracture procedure that I have, that it turned out okay. But it's these other things that sometimes you can control and sometimes you can't where you fall, where, you know, you, just something that you're not anticipating happens. And then that's why it's really important once that stuff happens, what enters into the equation is how much do I want to continue to be a runner after this? You know, because that was really, for me in 2007, I had a major knee surgery. I was on crutches for a couple of months, you know, and I was facing a lot of PT and you have to be motivated, right? You have to suddenly all this focus that you give to running, you have to give to coming back from an injury and it's tiring. You'd rather just not do that kind of physical therapy, stretching and strengthening stuff, but it was super important to me. So as I've always told my physical therapists and my doctors, what you have in front of you is that I am going to be the greatest patient I possibly can be for you. Whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do without any hesitation and in fact, you know, my doctors and physical therapists have always told me, you got to settle down. That's enough. Don't do any more <laughs> for, for all these exercises and so on. But so that that's kind of what leads to people getting out of it, you know, is you get injured and then they just don't really want to come back. And then they try a few years later and they didn't really deal with the injury that they had. And then they have some difficulties. So that's in my experience anyway, I think, Connor, that's what's more complicates things. And so I would argue that running <laughs> kind of a, a reasonable amount every day on pretty even surfaces, if not soft surfaces. And if you have good balance and you don't fall down, I would say that that's probably good for you in the long run. And, and there's going to be no detrimental impacts to that. And in fact, you're going to be a, probably a lot more youthful for a lot longer in your life because of those, those factors. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I also wonder about kind of the mental health benefits of running, especially these long distances where you, we mentioned it a little bit. You're kind of, you're on your own. You get to be in your head a little bit. I've definitely benefited a lot from these kind of long walks. So can you talk a little bit about the mental health benefits of running, especially long distances? I think one, one of the great things about running regularly is the fact that 
when you get out and run, it's not necessarily that you put everything away automatically. I don't think anybody's mind works like that. Like, you know, you, you the first step you take, suddenly the switch goes on and you completely forget about all the world's problems. What happens, I think, is you're able to kind of at least it gives you a chance to, you know, metaphorically take a deep breath <laughs> to tell yourself, okay, for, for this time here, I still may have all these issues in my head, but I have time to think about it at least for once, if I want to, if I choose to do that. And if I don't, then I can try to take my mind in a different direction. And usually what happens, at least in my experience, is time compresses. That's always what I've always found about running to me is like you get in this flow state where you're running along and you start thinking about your breathing and your footfall and your, you know, whether your, your arm carriage is in the right way. And, and pretty soon you're thinking about all these other aspects of it and you go out and you run for an hour and it only feels like a half hour. If it's a successful run, if I run a 24 hour race, it only feels like 12 hours to me. If I run a 12 hour race, it only feels like six because you lock in on other things other than what's right in front of you, it kind of gets your mind off of what might be bothering you. And, and I think we saw this during the pandemic. I saw this in my own neighborhood. Suddenly there are all these people out there because I think they wanted to get their minds off of, you know, you're watching CNN and the case counts, the test positivity rates, the hospitalizations are going way up. You're worried about your kids, your wife, your school, whatever it might be. And suddenly there are all these people out there. And so I think that's what they were, those, that's what those folks were after was a little bit of, of mental solace away from it all. So I think I'm never going to say that, I'm, you know, I'm not going to miss anything about the pandemic <laughs> if it ever does go away. But I will say, and I, I think you'd probably agree for that short period of time, for a few months there where so many people were outdoors in that spring of 2020 in particular, as March moved into April, into May, I just found that super inspiring to go out and seeing people of all ages, of all ability levels out, maybe with their kids or whatever, but they're all moving around and they're being healthy. They're trying to be as healthy as they possibly could during one of the most unhealthy moments in history. <laughs> and so I think back to that, I wish we could see more of that because I think right now, I think maybe people are going through that a bit. We're like, you know, there's still a lot of stuff going on in the world and it might be a benefit to go out and find a little bit of that outdoor therapy, whether it's one of your neighborhood walks or if it's a Tuesday night run with us or whatever it might be. You know, I think there's great therapeutic value to that for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't do a lot of like takes on my show, but I do think one of the missed opportunities of the pandemic era was that it was an opportunity to encourage people to get outdoors because that is where COVID is not really spreading. That is where it is safest to be. That is where you are being healthy and building up your immune system. And it would have been wonderful if as a country would have said, oh, this is a great opportunity to get outdoors and do exercise stuff. And we had a little hints of it, but it was never really the main push. It would have been really great, I think, for that to be maybe encouraged a little bit more throughout the entire pandemic. But we are where we are. For people who want to get involved in running, what's a good place to start? I remember years ago, I tried like a couch to 5K was a thing where it's for people who have not run at all and sort of supposed to get you trained up to do a 5K in these kind of bursts of you do like a short run and then you walk a little bit and it's geared for very, very beginner runners so that they don't burn themselves out on the first run because it's very easy to say, oh, I'm going to start running and then you go out and run a few miles and 
all of a sudden you feel like you're dying the next day. So how, how should runners get involved in a way that is sustainable, that they're not going to injure themselves, they're not going to overdo it? Are there ideas or plans or programs or suggestions you have for people who don't run, but maybe would like to just like dip a toe in there? They're not looking at ultras, but they want to get outdoors. How would you recommend people get started? Yeah, well, I, you you kind of hinted at a, a little bit there. The run walk regimen is is always a good way to start. You know, on your own. You know, because most of I, I remember when I was 13 years old, I was kind of embarrassed, and I shouldn't have been. You know, I've come to realize it's it's not a sign of weakness to walk, and in fact, it's smart to walk. But when I was a 13 year old kid, and I remember running around the the block of my neighborhood and I didn't want anybody to see me walking, you know? Um, but I think when you're first starting out just as an audience of one run for 30 seconds and then walk for a few minutes and then run for 30, and then not a sprint, great piece of advice. Somebody told me about racing, but it applies to anything is like run as fast at the start of a race as you would at the finish, right? <laughs> Cause it's easy to sprint out at the beginning. It's not so easy to sprint at the end. And so you know, just run at a pace that you feel would be sustainable for whatever distance it might be for 30 seconds. And then you walk for a little bit. Maybe you only do it once or twice, um, mm-hmm. 30 second burst here or there, you know, and then you, you build up gradually. And then once you feel like, you know, you can comfortably sort of do a little bit more of that, then I think that's when you can kind of take a, a dive into what's out there to understand like, okay, I'm, I want to run a 5K. How do I go about that? Or a 10K. I'll let you in on a little secret. There's a really great running writer. I mean, you know, I've always matriculated toward those who write about running really, really well. There's a guy named Hal Higdon, whose Hal, I believe, is probably close to 90 years old, if not a little bit beyond 90. He might be a little bit under two. Hal used to write for Runner's World magazine back when I was a kid, when I was reading Runner's World, and Hal was like in his mid-40s then. He's a wonderful writer, first of all. I mean, he's written for Sports Illustrated. He's written for Esquire. He's written for the New Yorker. He's written for all the great publications. So A, he's a good writer, but B, on his website, he has all these different training plans for everybody. You know, he has like a 10K training plan, a half marathon, a marathon, and they're all kind of like variations of the same thing. They're all very doable. He has rest days built in there. You don't have to, you don't have to be a workout warrior and he doesn't want you to run every single day. And he has specific workouts that you do, but then there's also other things that he wants you to do. So ever to check out Hal Higdon's website and he's written, gosh, probably 30 or 40 running books. A lot of them are out of print, but if you can find some on Amazon, anything that's ever been written about running by Hal Higdon, in my opinion, is gold. You know, it's just really, really, it's basic, it's common sense, it's easy to understand. There's all sorts of other good information out there for folks, but then that's when you can kind of dive in to say like, okay, well, this is what I might want to do. And the other thing too is once you get beyond like you've done the solitary thing, I really do feel there's value in the group. Finding a training partner, a couple of training partners, a couple of folks that might be able to meet at the same time, um, and then, you know, you can run and then go get Starbucks afterwards and talk about the run or whatever, or a running group, you know, maybe ultras are not exactly your cup of tea, but the striders, I mean, we try to encourage everybody. So like the runs that we have on Tuesday night, it's not like you run nine miles. We have a shorter distance. We have a five mile run as well. So, and a lot of running groups are structured that way where there's the long distance and the intermediate distance and the shorter distances. So find those kind of folks so they can encourage you too. So you keep building up. And that's the other thing. Don't get discouraged. Don't ever get down on yourself about it. I mean, there's nothing about running that's linear nothing at all is linear about it. You're going to have peaks and valleys. You're going to have a day where you feel great and you go out and you can feel like you run forever. 
there's going to be another day you're going to take three steps out the door and wish you were back inside. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, so you got to, you kind of work through those two and don't feel like that's a sign of weakness or it says anything about you as a human being. That's just your body just saying, I'm tired today, or you had a rough day at work today. And I'm, I'm trying to let you know that, you know, and you just need to listen to your body as, as you progress down the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And no, I think the listening to your body thing is important. Like I said, I don't run a lot, but I've also done a lot of hiking in general and I will normally walk while I'm hiking. I don't have like a really fast pace, but sometimes while I'm on a long hike, I will just feel like running. My body will be like, you should pick up the pace, even if it's only for 30 seconds, even if it's only for a minute, even if it's just like a hill, I see I'm like, I'm going to run up this one. And I think that that has been really effective for me is just to run when I feel like running and walk when I feel like walking. And our bodies do a pretty good job of letting us know when to slow down, when to speed up. And also you mentioned the endurance aspect. I think it's interesting. There's this parallel between the endurance during a run of like taking the next step and powering through that is also kind of paralleled with the longer term training, right? Of doing the run today or doing the training that you planned as a way of just pushing through what is a little bit of discomfort so that you can meet the goals that you have, right? You see that both in the individual run, then also I'm guessing in the training process along the way. You do, you totally do, you know, and you you have to really kind of define the voice that you're hearing in your head in those moments, you know, is it, is this something that I need to push through? And there is value in that. I mean, that's, I think what ultimately you have to do in a lot of events, but there's also times where you might be better served to like, "Eh, I, 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 I could push through, but I don't know if it's going to be pretty once I push through. That's something that's come to me <laughs> through hard trial and error where, you know, I, I, now I'm, I'm more to the point of I'm going to back off and take it a little bit easier. I still love to push it and push through, but oftentimes it'll be about now I'll save it for next time. Mm-hmm. I've reached the point in my running Connor where it's more I want to make sure there's another run. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, well, do, do you think that... Do you think that having done all the running that you've done, that you've really found that voice and been more in tune with your body as far as what you should or should not do? Is that part of what comes from all of this experience is just a greater clarity about what you should be doing and and understanding your body better? Yeah, completely. I mean, you know, when I was younger, it was all about, you know, intensity and duration and making sure that I was, you know, running at a high level all the time. And now this is more about, I want to make sure that, I don't know if it's possible, but I want to make sure that the day before I die, it may not be a run. <laughs> it may not look like a run, but in my mind, it is a run. You know, wh- however I'm moving at that point, if the day before I die, I can do that. Then I think like I've played this out perfectly throughout. You make those decisions for the long term, no matter what age you are, you know, it's like you want to, you want to live to run another day. And that's, you know, oftentimes I always encourage people to push themselves as hard as they possibly can, but you, you always want to live to run another day. You know, at my age, that means I want to run into my sixties and I want to run into my seventies and hopefully God willing into my eighties as well. And so you have to make these decisions about, you have to listen to yourself really honestly to say, you know, I'm not 35 anymore. Yeah, I can push through this now. And when I was 35 years old, get a cold glass of water, lay down, go to bed, and I'll be fine the next morning. Now, I may not be able to get out of bed the next morning if I push myself <laughs> too hard. So yeah, you know, it's, it, it's, it's an interesting thing where I think it takes probably more discipline to tell yourself to back off and think in the long term as opposed to, I got to get this now. If I don't get this now, 
I'm a failure. Nobody's going to like me, you know, and I, I, we're not going to be able to accomplish. You will be able to accomplish your goals. That's the thing I've learned is like, you can still find goals. You can still find achievable goals. They may not be the same goals that you had 20 years ago, but they're still just as meaningful, just as long as you have a, a clear eyed kind of perception of where you are physically and what you're capable of doing. And that's something 20 years ago, I, I couldn't have told you with a straight face. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show to talk about running stuff. Like I said, I knew very little about running, but my friend Adam suggested that I talk to you, uh, Adam Tchaikovsky, who's part of a lot of running clubs in town too, and also kind of taught me that embrace the suck mentality. He does the like the polar plunge in the winter in the Truckee River, just all of these kind of things about embracing the the difficulty of accomplishing these things. And running is this prime example, I think, of finding your limits, testing your limits, and really going out there and doing something that takes a lot of commitment and a lot of energy and a lot of dedication. So I really appreciate that about the sport of running is that it's not just about winning a race. It's not just about the competition aspect, but really kind of pushing ourselves and knowing ourselves along the way. So it was so great to learn about running. What else do you want people to know about running or the running world in Reno or about the Striders? Yeah. What do you want people to know about uh, the running world here in Reno? Well, you know, just to put in the the shameless plug for the group, Tuesday and Thursday nights, 545, we post our runs on the Striders Facebook page and Truckee Meadows running Facebook page. Everybody's welcome. I'd just like to say that part of it. But also more generally, Reno's an interesting place, um, as you know. Anything that you do in Reno, there's a history to it, right? Although, you know, we were kind of founded you know, with this idea that, you know, this place was the pioneers were passing through here before that the Native Americans were here. This is a place with deep roots. And if you dig down deep, you know, especially in the running community, there's a lot there. I'd like to think like that's what the running community is all about. The people here in our community, they kind of represent what's been done in the past and what people are hoping to achieve in the future. And it's super important to everybody to see people succeed and to feel welcomed and acknowledged and loved and and encouraged, you know. And so I can't repeat that enough that it's just whoever you are, don't ever feel like, you know, you can't be a part because we're not that special. <laughs> we, we run along, we, we run long distances, but we're normal people and we, we love to see other people come out and, and share the joy with us. And, you know, it's funny, you meant, you mentioned Adam and Adam is such an interesting guy. You know, I mean, as you know, he, he is a really accomplished person in, in a lot of different ways. He's a great example of a, of a guy who, you know, he came out to our race and he was volunteering and we, we had him do a lot of volunteer kind of stuff and he loved every minute of it because that's the way Adam is, right? I mean, Adam's mm-hmm. a very enthusiastic person, but I always think about him as just emblematic of, you know, I think if people come in with the, with the right mindset and the, the right sort of heart, they can get so much out of it, you know, because I think that's, I would, I would think that Adam has gotten a lot out of, you know, becoming a runner and the things that he's done and everything. Having him come out and be a part of our group, we've met this incredibly talented, accomplished guy who's, who's so giving and cares about this community, cares about the concept of community. It's, it's kind of cool that people like that just kind of wander in and you meet them and they become part of your existence. And that's what I think running the running community here is all about is people just kind of wander in, you become part of your life and together, you know, you can, you're all capable of doing really amazing things. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's really great to talk to you about running. I, I'm probably not going to start myself, but now you got my brain thinking, hmm, maybe I should add a little bit of jogging to my walks. Got me thinking about it. So hopefully listeners are also feeling a little bit motivated. I really appreciate you taking the time, John. 
Oh, thanks for having me, Connor. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Reno White. And special thanks to John Trent from the Silver State Striders for coming on the show. Great to learn about the running community here in the Reno area. If you enjoyed this episode or any other, as always, do me a favor and let people know about this podcast. One of the challenges of creating and growing a local podcast like this is letting people know that it exists. So share posts on Facebook, post the link to episodes, tell your friends and family, spread the word, let everyone know that there's this great local podcast with a lot of interesting guests and cool conversations that it can be found wherever people listen to podcasts. I really appreciate your help in getting the word out there. Also, if you have a moment to leave me a positive review on Apple Podcasts, that helps a ton. Go to Apple Podcasts, find Renoites, and leave me a positive review. It helps people find the show. And when they do find the show, it encourages them to actually, you know, listen to it, check it out. I really appreciate all the support. Thank you so much. And I'll see you all next week. 